saliva is being called the new blood of health diagnostics. There is over a thousand conditions already that are sensed uh, by monitoring saliva. These are everything from cancer markers to hormones to toxins to immunoresponses to... That's Dan Weinstein, the co-founder and CEO of Laura Health. This is a great story. It's about three young college students with an idea. They couldn't seem to get any traction on getting funded in the crowded Boston venture market. Kendall Square, 128, they tried everything. But they found the New England Medical Innovation Center, who created an individual program based on a technical evaluation survey and crafted a plan to help them meet their goals. Lo and behold, they're now in Shenzhen, China, and on the cusp of something sounds really monumental. Who knew saliva was the new blood? And this good story illustrates how the New England Medical Innovation Center, based in Providence, can have an impact locally, regionally, and across the globe. Welcome to MedTech Monday on the Road Pod. Hello, I'm Danielle Sturm, your host of MedTech Monday on the Road Pod. I'm here today with my co-host, Tom Chiginski, and I'm very excited to introduce today's guest, CEO and co-founder of Lura Health, Daniel Weinstein. Lura Health was one of the first startup fellows that completed an individualized program at Nemec, where we got to customize a program to best fit their needs to ultimately raise a first successful pre-seed round of fundraising. Lura Health came to us in June of 2019 with an amazing technology, brand new business, and a need to raise funds. So I'm very excited to introduce to you Dan Weinstein, joining us from Shenzhen, China. Hi, Dan. Thank you for joining us on this episode. And before we get into the story of Lura Health, um, I would love to have you introduce yourself and your background as an entrepreneur and student and how you joined the team that co-founded Lura Health. Hi, Danielle. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, my name is Dan, and I'm CEO and co-founder of Laura Health. So my background is a biomedical engineer. I recently graduated from Tufts, and all throughout college, we've been working on this company. Uh, my sophomore year, we went to a three-day startup pitch, and I pitched this idea for a nutrition sensor that you can wear in the mouth to automatically track calories, proteins, carbohydrates, fats. I was a really intense soccer player uh, way back in the day. And my co-founder was a baseball player. So the idea kind of came out of that. Um, and ever since then, we made a bunch of pivots to where we are today. We stuck with it. And after graduating college, uh, moved to China. And I'm here in Shenzhen at the Hacks Accelerator. Yeah, that's awesome. And when did you graduate? I graduated in 2018. So when we first met, um, I remember a really surprising statistic that came from you when you first kind of pitched your company to us that tooth decay is the world's largest disease affecting 92% of American adults, um, which really blew all of our minds because no one had a clue that tooth decay was that leading disease. Um, can you tell us about like the consequences of tooth decay and what patients and dentist pain points are with the disease and kind of how that created Laura Health? Yes, absolutely. So tooth decay, as you mentioned, is the number one most common chronic disease in the world, as reported by the CDC. It affects 92% of American adults at some point and 60% of American kids. Just the really quick stats are that there's 200 million annual tooth restorations every year just in America. 
and $124 billion are spent between dental insurance providers and patients out of pocket. Uh, so it's a, it's a huge problem and it's oral health problems in general are being referred to as the silent epidemic because although they're extremely common and everybody has either had tooth decay or knows somebody close to them who has had tooth decay at some point or the other, it doesn't get as much attention as a lot of other health conditions, even though oral health is now being realized to be crucially important to overall health. Uh, so as I mentioned, we started the company my sophomore year. I co-founded it with Noah, a software engineer, and Sam Bozorg, a dental student at Tufts. And while we were first working on nutrition, uh, Sam had this aha moment where in all of his classes, he was being taught about the devastating problems about tooth decay and how it was all caused by acid, which I'll get into a little later too. But acid is the root of this problem. The preventative procedures are now trying to monitor acid and get a sense of, of the acid profiles of patients' mouths. But, you know, dentists are still in Tufts relying on one-time acid tests on subjective questionnaires. So his idea was to uh, pivot the company to monitor acid to address this large problem of tooth decay. So tell us about your, the, your technology and how it's combating acid and tooth decay. Sure. So with this specific problem of tooth decay, all throughout the day, your mouth is in an acid cycle. So without getting into too many details, when you eat or drink something, uh, usually your mouth becomes more acidic. For example, uh, Coke has a pH of 2.4. Uh, if, if you are familiar with the pH scale, neutral is 7 and a healthy level is about 5 in the mouth. So 2.4 is really, really acidic. In healthy individuals, saliva is able to come in, bring that acid back to normal, flush it out. Um, and it's really unhealthy individuals who stay in this acidic zone for way too long. Their enamel starts to erode, it starts to decay, and eventually acid eats through the enamel into the pulp, into the dentin. And at that point, you know, there's really nothing you can do. If you, if you catch it early, uh, if you neutralize acid with over-the-counter products like gum, sprays, mints, um, you can continue to live a healthy life and prevent the disease, uh, prevent tooth decay before it progresses. But if you wait uh, until permanent damage, there's really nothing you can do besides go to the dentist and uh, probably spend a, a couple thousand dollars on, a, on an implant or crown. Our technology, what we're doing to address this is we're providing patients with a continual real-time acid monitor. If your mouth is way too acidic and damage is currently happening to your teeth. Um, you can, you know, our sensor records that, sends a notification to a smartphone when the danger zone is occurring and gives the patient a recommendation of using a mouthwash, which is basic, a piece of gum, a xylitol mint, a spray, uh, brushing their teeth, any, any of these measures to get them out of that critical danger zone. So it's a behavioral modification device. It's a way to get patients back on track to avoid problems in the, in the future. And what has the feedback been from um, dentists and people who would be either using these or uh, putting these into people's mouths? Oh, it's been great feedback for us. We've actually been really lucky to work so closely with the Tufts Dental School. One of our lead mentors, Dr. Arsenal, was our advocate from the very early days. Uh, he's on the board of a preventative movement um, that focuses on monitoring acid. 
And he's been unbelievably supportive in connecting us with some of the top names in the industry. A lot of uh, dentists, everyone from periodontists to restorative uh, dentists have joined our team as advisors and are helping us uh, scale the product and, and launch the technology. So it's, it's been great. Um, we've also been lucky to connect with a bunch of really great corporate partners. But I think the thing that we're most proud of is the response from patients. The patients that are in really high risk scenarios, really high, high risk groups, like patients with some autoimmune disorders or patients who are undergoing chemotherapy or who don't have access to good nutrition. Um, these are patients who are really suffering. They spend a lot out of pocket on dental care. They have problems with insurance getting to cover it. Uh, so these patients are really excited about having a tool that allows them to take control again of their oral health. Um, so I want to start with your entrepreneurial journey before, prior to coming to Nemec. How long were you working on the startup? What were some of the challenges um, as a, a team of student entrepreneurs who were kind of doing this for the first time and bringing a technology out of the lab? So we were working on the technology for a while before coming to Nemec. We were working on it for around two years while we were all studying at Tufts and one year after graduation. I'd say... Some of the biggest challenges, as anybody who tried to start a, a startup in college knows, it's just uh, a lot of times time. As a student, a full-time student, it's really hard to balance um, going to pitches, uh, writing the business plan, um, raising funds, all while you're still a full-time student. Uh, so just the number of hours in the day was, was really tough. Every single weekend, we were in the lab until... Um, you know, a lot of times past midnight working mm -hmm. on the product. And during the week, we were scrambling to keep up with the business side of things. Um, but it was great to, to graduate and to have enough money to continue to work on the company and to be able to continue to progress it. I'd say the, the other challenge too is, um, is competing against, against other startups, uh, who, the founders are out of school and are, um, you know, working full time on it. It's always tough trying to justify a fundraise when not all of your time can be focused on the business. And it's a, it's a real challenge uh, to try to raise money and to try to gain credibility as a, as a new startup as well. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that, so those are the biggest challenges that we ran into. Yeah, I'm interested too. Um, just because you were working on this technology while you were still in school, what was the the, the IP situation like? Um, did they give you guys full IP rights um, since you were working on it while you're still in school? Yeah, it's a great question. So we were very proactive about it. Um, we made sure to not use any resources in the university that would constitute them taking ownership. We were in contact from the technology transfer department at our university from an early stage, and we were actually able to receive a letter uh, saying that they didn't hold an IP stake in the technology. So mm -hmm. we were we were really careful to maintain IP ownership of the company and be able to expand on our patent portfolio internally rather than through the university. Mm -hmm. However, I, I do have to say that um, we were very happy with Tufts Tech Transfer Department. Um, they do help a lot of students, graduate students, professors commercialize their ideas. Um, but obviously, if you're 
looking for uh, to have complete control, uh, it's important that that's established early on. Yeah, that's great. I feel like that what I see is that's a big pain point for a lot of entrepreneurs that come in is that they're stuck in limbo with either institutions or universities like technology transfer offices, seeing who has the IP and what they can move forward. So that's great to hear and um, that you guys have full control of it. And now that you fundraise, I feel like Tufts might have lost out because it's such a great product. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So... Can you tell us a bit about um, your experience of working with Nemec and when you first came to us, what your needs were at the time and what next milestones you were really looking to hit? Sure. By the time we came into Nemec, we had about a year under our belts of being out of college. Um, Or I should say I graduated college. Noah was still working throughout college. Uh, He still had a, a year left to finish. And then Sam was working in dental school as well. So we took the leap after college, spent a year, uh, raised some money, uh, developed a proof of concept unit. So I, I'd say when we came into Nemec stores, we had a functioning proof of concept that demonstrated the idea. It was much larger than what we wanted our final product to be, but it had all elements of the system integrated into it. And um we had a, a honed-in business model that was verified by most of the pe- people in the supply chain as well. So we ran our business plan by dentists, by patients, by insurance providers, by distributors, and we felt like we had all angles. Um, we had empathy for all angles of the supply chain. When we got to Nemec, we were looking to put all of these ideas down in a great, clean business deck that we could go out and use to raise the next round. So we were looking for help with uh, workshopping our business model. We were looking for help with crafting the narrative of the story in a compelling way to uh, really connect with investors and, and address all of their key needs and questions and to proactively going about about displaying our company in the best light as possible. Mm-hmm. And what was that first fundraising round that you guys ultimately raised, but what were you, um, how much were you raising? So we were, uh, we ended up raising money through SOSV and SOSV stands for Sean O'Sullivan Ventures. He's, uh, his venture firm is one of the leading venture firms in the U.S. I think they're second in terms of ARR behind uh, Y Combinator. Um, and their funding package basically works like it's it's a $250,000 investment. Half of that goes to um, capital. The other half goes to in-kind services. And they put all their teams through their domain-specific accelerators. So we're a hardware-based company. We were fortunate to be accepted into the Hacks Hardware Accelerator in Shenzhen. And we've been uh, working here ever since. So in addition to Hacks, which was our lead investor, we also were able to close on a pretty sizable family and friends round. Um, We, uh, a piece of advice for entrepreneurs, um, try to avoid holding money in an escrow or something that it only cashes out when you reach a certain point. 
Uh, we were at first looking to stay in the US and raise a lot more money and work with a expensive design firm, um, have a, you know, uh, a lucrative office. Uh, we were looking to have a high burn rate and we were structuring our financial round around that. But, um, and the, the terms of the funding rounds were that we'd only cash in all the other investments that we got if we reached the uh, big lofty goal that we set. But eventually uh, we ended up signing with Hacks. It was less um, actual capital than we expected but it was uh, more than enough to get us through this next goal. And the advice and mentorship and resources at their accelerator uh, ended up being more valuable than just the, the capital anyway. Um, so we were able to, to negotiate with all of our existing investors, change the terms of the round and cash out all that money, even though it wasn't what we originally thought. So Fundraising can can often change. Um, what can happen might be different from the fundraising plan. So try to avoid locking yourself in too early. Danielle, I have a question mm -hmm. for you regarding um, the equity and hacks and everything. Um, did you give up less equity by going this way? So the way that hacks works is they use a, a similar deal for all the teams coming into the program, regardless of their initial stage. Mm -hmm. which is in somewhat tough because everybody's at a different stage, but the valuation's fixed. Uh, so we actually decreased our, our valuation a little bit. We, we were valued at less than we were projecting and uh, our friend and family raised was so far, um, but it was less capital that we needed. So uh, we ended up giving around the same amount of equity in the end. Okay. So I'm a little bit, I'm a little uncertain. I'm sorry, jump in for a second. No, go ahead. I'm a little uncertain of the timeline though, because we've jumped around a little bit here. So can you define for us? So you've, you're now in Tufts, you're out of Tufts. Um, you go to the, what is the Y Combinator like um, venture firm? What was their name again? SOSV. SOSV. And then, so what was the timeline between getting out of Tufts to where you are right now? Define those sort of periods of time because it's a little unclear to me how the timeline worked. Sure. So we, I left Tufts in 2018. Yep. We, I spent a year at the Tufts Launchpad Biolabs in Boston okay. working on the technology. And uh, in 2019, we ended up... Uh, working with Nemec and raising our next round okay. uh, in September of 2019. So in, in this fall, we were accepted to the program. And then in uh, mid-September, we arrived in China. And we've been in Asia working with Hacks ever since. Okay. Okay. That just, that's clear. Okay. Thank mm -hmm. you. Sure. Yeah. And what, so what exactly have you been working on um, on your technology in China? So when we arrived to China, our first goal was to optimize the electronics. We started out by building a bigger version of our electronics while optimizing the design. And since then, we went through about four or five iterations, making it smaller and smaller every time until it fit on one tooth, which is where we're at today. So um, we were also negotiating with global partners all over the world about specific parts and processes and manufacturing partners. Um, and Shenzhen was a, a great place to do so. 
Uh, after we finalized the technology, we started getting into the uh, the casing and housing uh, that um, led us to connect with some dental labs, some orthodontics practices, uh, some um, local dentists here in Shenzhen to get uh, feedback and optimize the design to, to make it a, a sleek intraoral appliance that every dentist would be happy to, to prescribe. Um, so uh, a lot of it has been us sitting in the lab, optimizing designs and um, submitting purchases. But a lot of it also has been us going out and around Shenzhen, uh, touring different manufacturers, um, negotiating over price, lead time, quality, everything to be integrated in the Shenzhen ecosystem. Yeah, that's great. And I kind of want to bring it back to to um, talking about fundraising again, just because I have one more question um, that many of the entrepreneurs that we work with um, are always looking for like insight into what the due diligence process is, since it's different with whoever you raise funds with. What was your due diligence process like? And do you have any um, advice for entrepreneurs going through that process? Sure. Yeah. Um, diligence depends on which firm you're raising for, obviously. And it's a really good reflection on the overall culture at the firm or venture partner who you end up signing with. Um, so definitely pay attention to the interaction, to how they treat you, to their timeliness. Um, I know it's kind of cliche, but just as you're trying to pitch to them and you're trying to make yourself seem like the best candidate for them, they should be trying to establish a relationship with you as well uh, for a healthy partnership. Um, we have pretty much nothing but great things to say about hacks. Their, their diligence was thorough. Um, it was in three stages. So the first stage was um, overall business plan. So the, the quick 10 minute pitch, you know, market, distribution, sales, growth pathway, um, revenue models, everything like that. The second stage was with the engineering team who are brilliant. So we did a deep dive into the technology, um, showed them product demos, explained what we had uh, figured out and what we haven't figured out. And they um, looked inward to see whether their staff uh, had the expertise to help us. Um, a lot of teams applying to, to Hacks, which is the world's number one hardware accelerator. So there are always a um, multitude of, of great teams who are applying. Um, a, a lot of teams have a great technology and a great uh, vision, but sometimes the engineers at Hacks are not prioritizing on that specific uh, industry or they need a specific, the startup needs a specific skill that Hacks uh, doesn't prioritize. So Hacks really tries to only invest and support companies that they believe that they can fuel and get to the next level, which was, which was great. And, and we ended up being a, a good match. Mm -hmm. um, and then the final stage was with the general partner, uh, Duncan. And that was more of a understanding the team and the culture. So all of us got on a call with Duncan talked about um, you know, our, our backgrounds, how they influenced the project. It was much more personal and uh, kind of a human process rather than just the, the business plan. Um, so after getting through all those stages, we were accepted. And I know, so you're working in China. How is uh, 
the outbreak of COVID-19 really affected you? I know that I think you left for Europe for a little bit, but did that have a um, uh, stop on your development process? Yeah, I mean, COVID has affected everybody, obviously. Um, China is no exception. Um, we were in China, we were the first to experience the virus. Uh, it started in Wuhan and spread pretty, pretty quickly throughout the country. We decided to uh, leave China temporarily in January. And we, we took the time to uh, travel around and, and visit some of our manufacturing partners around the world. We took advantage of it. From our perspective, it was it was the right time to relocate. We stayed in Europe for a couple of weeks, and then we ended up traveling to Thailand, where we had some connections uh, and, and hacks. Actually, uh, set us up with one of the lead manufacturers in Thailand. Um, we spent about a, a month in Thailand in a you know great condo, great hospitality by the locals. Made some business connections. And then when things started to settle down in China, uh, we came back. It was a great decision coming back because Shenzhen is probably one of the safest places to be right now. They have great, great infection, infectious disease controls. They have it really under control and the cases have dropped really, really substantially. So things are, you know, more or less back to normal beside wearing masks and checking in. Uh, to make sure that that everyone's healthy. Mm-hmm. So you're at a, a pretty pretty cool point in your business right now, where you just rebranded um, from YouTube Biosensors to Lura Health. Can you tell us the story about that rebrand and what the future looks like for Lura Health? Yeah, yeah, it, it was exciting. We were originally YouTube Biosensors. The the first name came about by thinking about kind of trends in healthcare names. You have you know, the Fitbits, the Grubhubs, all of these kind of two-syllable names that rhyme. So YouTube kind of, uh, the genesis was, was out of that theme. And it was great. I, everybody um, who, who understood it liked it. But the problem was when you were telling somebody off the street about your company name, they didn't know whether it was Uchu, Achu, uh, <laughs> what it was. So we we decided we, we kind of needed to mature in our in our name a little bit. The process of rebranding was talking with the creative directors here, creating a bunch of moodscapes, um, kind of playing word association, making all these charts of all these words that could be related, and we ended up deciding on Laura, which means mouth in Latin, and also has a really smooth. Kind of, yeah, a, a really smooth sound to it and a kind of soft sound to it, which is where we want to be as a medical device. So uh, we worked closely with Hacks for the rebranding process. We got a bunch of great feedback from our um, friends and, and advisors, and we're happy to be at a more, what we feel is a, a more mature name going forward. So Daniel, uh, Daniel um, you're in the heart, the heartbeat one of the two heartbeats in the world of, of med tech and innovation up in Boston and bio, bio and pharma and everything um, with all the educational institutions and the VCs lining 128 in Kendall square. What value did Nemec bring to you that you couldn't find up there? Yeah, well um, we did the whole circuit in 
Boston. So we pitched at every angel investing firm that we could get into. Mm -hmm. Uh, We workshopped at VC offices. We, you know, took, took investors out to lunch. We did everything we could in the Boston scene to understand the ecosystem and uh, ultimately raise money. Um, The Boston ecosystem is great. There's a lot of capital, especially in the, the Kendall Square area, Harvard Square area. The problem that Nemec really addresses is that there's a gap between companies that are at an early stage and have yet to prove their uh, technological chops to the the big leagues in Kendall Square, where these firms often like to you know contribute to Series A rounds, Series B rounds. So, although there were a lot of resources in Boston. It was really hard to find early stage supporters of technology companies. Uh, just like there are a bunch of VCs on 128, there are also a ton of startups, and it's super competitive. And it's it's pretty common for a VC in in Boston to hear 500 pitches a year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at least a couple every day of, of promising startups. So we were really excited to meet Nemec, who takes technologies at a really early stage, discusses and decides on what the critical areas are to de-risk, and works with the companies on crafting a narrative about how to de-risk those uh, standpoints, connecting them with um, health providers in the ecosystem, and ultimately setting them up for their first raise that they can go out and improve the technology. Fair enough. Thank you. I have to say it was really impressive knowing like you you guys are all so young and doing this right out of school. Um, and I know when we talked before, you kind of wanted to talk about and kind of give advice to students who might be looking to take that leap into entrepreneurship right out of college. Um, and you're a big proponent of, of doing that. Do you want to tell, tell any of your advice about that? Yes, absolutely. College is an amazing time to start a company. I was listening to a, a talk in, in Boston and the VC was saying, you'll never in your life be in a place with so many smart, multidisciplined people who don't have their life figured out yet. <laughs> so they're people, they're people who are in your classes, who are looking for jobs, who are trying to find what's interesting to them, and who are all super passionate about their field of interest, um, and who are trying to, to better themselves, trying to engage in exciting projects. Um, and there's also hopefully never a point in your life where there's that low risk of trying something out. Um, if you are able to, uh, get a little bit of funding from the university to work on a summer scholars project for the summer, or if, you know, you have some time after class and after school, it's a, a low risk environment that you can try a bunch of stuff out. You can connect with a bunch of multidisciplinary people. And you can have access to the ecosystem um, in, in college that's increasingly being focused toward promoting student entrepreneurship. Um, so for anybody who's thinking of starting a, a company and doesn't know where to start, um, I'd say reach out to your entrepreneurship center. Go to some of the events going on around campus around entrepreneurship. Uh, we were really lucky because... Tufts had a great entrepreneurship program. They led a bunch of competitions for prize money. And we were fortunate to place highly in in a lot of those competitions and get our first starting funding from the university itself. 
Um, so they offer a, a ton of support and just go for it. Yeah, that's great advice. And I actually, I have another question too um, about your technology. Just something I remembered when, when we first met um, is that right now you guys are focusing, especially before you, you really were fundraising on that your technology can really test the acidity in your mouth for tooth decay. But there's a lot of other diseases and a lot of other functions that your technology can um, be used for as well. Do you want to talk about those? Yeah, absolutely. It was the, the dentists on our team vision to tackle the, the oral health market first, but really it's all of our vision to transform the landscape of, of health monitoring in general. Saliva is being called the new blood of health diagnostics. There's over a thousand conditions already that are sensed uh, by monitoring saliva. These are everything from cancer markers to hormones to toxins to immunoresponses to viruses to, to, to so many different elements. I mean, just think about COVID. Everything is transitioning now to saliva-based testing, whether it's a swab or drooling with a tube. And really our, our mission is instead of drooling in a tube or taking a swab and sending that result to a lab and waiting a, a week to get a one-time result for a condition that you need to be monitoring all the time to get good results, we want to enable users to have a device in their mouth that they don't even think about always tracks whatever they care about and transmits directly to their smartphone uh, to be a, an integrated part of their of their day-to-day. -day. So although we're first focusing on acid, some of the really exciting opportunities in my mind uh, are tracking allergens. So if you're allergic to peanuts or shellfish, you know, you're, you're always wary of eating cross-contaminated foods. There's a potential to have the sensor recognize those allergens and send you a notification before you go into anaphylactic shock. I think every 10 minutes, somebody gets admitted to the ER for an allergic reaction. So it's a huge mm -hmm. need. The company started out by this idea of nutrition monitoring. So ultimately, we'd love to get to the point where if you ate a, a hamburger, the sensor could track uh, carbohydrates, fats, proteins, and kind of pair that with an activity monitor to get your, your net calories and to see if you're on track with your, with your fitness goals. And then also hormones is an exciting thing. If, if you're a mother and you're trying to track your fetus's development um, and trying to monitor your, your mood, or if you're undergoing some psychiatric treatment and you're, you're trying to get in a better headspace, um, you can track cortisol, you can track estrogen, testosterone, all of these different molecules in, in saliva. So there's a, a huge potential for uh, a number of different conditions. Mm -hmm. And I bet that resonates pretty well with the investors you were pitching to that there was, there was more business beyond just what you're raising funds for right now. Exactly. And one of the challenges for us has been, how do we convince investors of the overall platform uh, and, and tell them, uh, that we're focused on creating this this large encompassing technology series versus how do we zone in on our first go-to-market strategy and to convince them that we can make revenue quickly uh, and that we're not going to be in the lab for five years developing this out. It's a mix between having a big vision, but also having a tangible milestone plan that can get you off the ground uh, and can can successfully lead you into the market. 
Daniel, or Daniel, I have a question for you. How much does the product cost? So we're thinking right now that the product will be between one and $200 uh, retail. It'll be paid in combination of the patients out of pocket to start. Mm-hmm. And uh, the dentist will be reimbursed for their time uh, for, the, for the services they administer. And what would the replacement time be? It's not going to be there forever. I mean, it can't, it can't live there forever. It's got to have a battery and everything. We're designing our product to last for six months, which is the time between dental checkups. Okay. Um, but, but I should say, ultimately, we expect that our product will be covered by reimbursement. Yep. as most medical devices do. <laughs> um, however, we have to get to a, we have to get to market quickly. Uh, that's going to be a, an out of pocket play to start while we're gathering all this critical data of eff- eff- efficacy of our products that we can turn around and, and show to insurance companies that um, they're actually losing money by not uh, promoting our, our product for, for preventative care. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. Interesting. What's that timeline um, look like for your plan to, to launch it into the market? We're going to need FDA approval. So our, our process is we're spending the next couple of months finishing up the one tooth demo units in Shenzhen. Uh, we're going out and raising the next round of funding. Hopefully we'll close that round by October or November of 2020. Um, we'll probably have around 18 months to two years to make any final touches on the on the go-to-market product and pass FDA testing, running clinical trials at some notable dental universities. Um, and then, yeah, hopefully about two years, we should be able to be, uh, be hitting the market with our first sales. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a few more questions soon. I'm going to go. I'm going to go back to the investors because it's um, interesting. Just because I know your your pitch deck, um, but what were some of the things that resonated with them when you were pitching with them, and what were some of the things that, that people might have had questions about? Like, was it your market strategy or your team and advisors? The thing that resonated most with people was probably the platform, the promise of saliva and the need for a continual monitoring method. I'd say the things that we really needed to educate our investors on were oral health. Uh, A lot of our earliest investors came as dentists and orthodontists who were specialties in this field. But I think the challenge that a lot of medical device companies face is how do you start with a domain specific idea, whether it's like a really specific kidney dialysis machine or a, you know, liver monitoring system or blood infusion pump or or something, how do you still convince the, the investors of the scientific promise of that specific idea while also, uh, broadly speaking about the technology in, in layperson's terms? Um, so really, you know, we, we had a lot of success with people who are already in the dental space, but for those who weren't, we needed to take a step back, talk about um, the technology from, from a standpoint that ideally they, they already know, they already feel, they already have some familiarity with. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a balance between trying to educate versus trying to connect at where somebody is already at. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, I think, a pain point. Yeah. Like you said, for a lot of medical startups, and that's something we try to soothe at Nemec, where we've learned that a lot, there's a lot of investors who want to invest in these technologies, but we found it's just easier to work with investors who either have that medical background or the scientific background can, can understand easily kind of what the clinical need is and what it's solving. Um, and I think that's why a lot of the companies that come to us now, we're easily introduce them to investors that are in the space and we're still growing. We have a pool of investors now, but we're still growing that pool of investors who are know the space and want to invest in companies in the space to kind of make that process of investing and creating a partnership easier um, to have more successful companies come out of it. Right. And I think we were talking about this at the NEMIC program. Um, it's always a debate between execution and idea. A lot of people in college think, oh, if I have a brilliant idea, you know, it's 100% on that. I'll figure it out. If I just tell somebody, the money will come pouring in. But a lot of investors in our experience, the way that they think about it is they'd rather take a B-grade technology, but with an A-grade team and execution plan that they can go and deliver on it, which is something that I think is, is switched from companies that are just starting out, especially students who are in a more academic mind frame. Exactly. Exactly. Tom, I don't know if you have any more questions for Daniel. Um, no, I th no, not no? at this point, no. All right. Well, before we end our episode, I always like to ask our guests if there's anything you would want to share with our listeners or anything like as an ask or anything that you're looking for or seeking for Laura Health, because you never know who's listening. We'd like to hear from you specifically if you identify with the pain point we're trying to address on this first product, which is tooth decay. If you're having trouble with taking control of your oral health, if you keep having you know, oral health problems, if you just want to know more about keeping your mouth or the mouths of your kids or people who you care about healthy, we'd, we'd love to talk, hear your feedback, hear your experience and um, get you involved in the team. So um, yeah. That's great. And how, Dan, how can people um, contact you? So um, feel free to reach out to any of the links on the podcast listing. Um, you can reach me by email anytime or go to our website at www.laurahealth.com, L-U-R-A health.com and drop us a line. Awesome. And if any of our listeners are interested in um, an individualized program by NEMIC, like the one Laura Health went through, um, you can find information on our website at www.nemiccenter.com. -E -E um, or you can tweet us at um, hashtag MedTechMonday. Well, thank you very much, Dan, for joining us. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure, Danielle. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, Dan. I hope you enjoy listening to The Road Pod as much as I do producing it. This was a great episode. Being able to have Danielle up in Providence, myself in Jamestown, and Daniel in Shenzhen, China. That's exciting. We'll be talking to you next week with a new episode. Thanks very much for listening. And again, if you need to reach me, it's tom at theroadpod.com. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. Stay safe. Social distance. Be well. <laughs>